everybody. Welcome to the Hidden Gems podcast. This is the show where we like to dig a little bit deeper into the streaming services that we all are enjoying and give some hidden gems that uh, you, can, you can enjoy on the streaming services. This week, we are talking about the Canopy service. This is the second time that we will talk about the Canopy service and uh, really excited to do so. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Ryan is here. Hey, Rachel, so great to be with you once again, and we're going to be talking about Canopy today. I'm very excited for this because, like, Canopy, slowly, and this may be because I've been watching a lot of uh, older horror movies for a series I'm doing, hashtag cheap plug on my channel, <laughs> but Canopy has slowly become, like, a pretty underrated, it's a pretty underrated service, but it's slowly become one of my favorites i don't know about you yeah no they have some really good stuff and you'll see that especially in the in the picks from this uh uh for this week for me is a lot of stuff that i saw and enjoyed at sundance and uh so it's really fun to get to be able to watch those the, all those really really good films for free just part absolutely. of your library absolutely and uh, like you said, all you need is a library card and you just have access to early cinema and world cinema and uh, documentaries that you wouldn't normally find, but there they are anyway. And mm -hmm. I was able to watch A Trip to the Moon, one of the first movies ever made from director George Malays. Mm. And I, it was one of those movies that it just... Like, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in 1915 just to see people be like, oh, what is that? You know, mm -hmm. run and hide and, and all of that. Yeah. And I've actually never seen that. So I... it's only like 15 minutes long, but it's it's still it's, it's just it's just a, it's a crazy movie to think about, like 100 plus years after the fact, 105, actually. I know that Scorsese was heavily. Uh, influenced uh, by it for um, Hugo. I can definitely one. see that. Mm -hmm. So very cool. Well, uh, let's dive in and give our suggestions. Uh, so my first pick is my favorite movie from Sundance in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Leave No Trace. And this film stars Ben Foster and uh, Thomas M. McKenzie, who if you all saw Jojo Rabbit, you would have seen her in that. And she's a really lovely young actress. And I really enjoyed this movie. It was one of my favorites of 2018. It was my favorite for most of the year. And then, uh, then it ended up, I think, at number three. And what I think this thing does, this film does right that most uh, these kind of films in this genre do wrong is that uh, the, it, it tells a off the grid story without turning the characters into too much of a, of a, without mythologizing the characters, without making them too heroic. And uh, so you get to see just their human side. And Ben Foster, he, he is living off the grid with his daughter, and uh, he is a very wounded person. And a lot of times, these kinds of movies that I hate is they turn somebody who is wounded, and not that that's bad, but turns them into some kind of 
hero that we should be basing our life off of. I hated the glass castle so much uh, that kind of had that feeling to it. And in, uh, in this, uh, you have this relationship between this father and daughter. And uh, it, it, this is kind of a fly on the wall kind of movie. Like it doesn't have a ton of plot. You're more following these two people as they go from place to place to place. But I just thought it was beautiful. The ending is so good. And the performances are great. It's beautiful uh, Portland uh, area, Oregon area uh, foliage. And the, it, so it's beautifully filmed. It's really good. Yeah, this is one of those movies around uh, award season 2018 that I was like, okay, I got to see that. And then it came nowhere near my area. Yeah. Because like I've said a couple times on this uh, on this podcast, I live near a theater that doesn't really get like award-worthy movies or Oscar movies. Instead, we get operas and like TCM big screen classics. And while I love seeing the TCM movies, sometimes there'll be like, I'll, I'll have to wait six months to finally see Parasite. And yeah. in the case of Leave No Trace, it never came anywhere near my area. And it and that sucked because I love the main actor in this movie, Ben Foster. He's slowly becoming one of my favorites. He was excellent in a small movie starring Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges called Hell or High Water. It's unfortunately not on Canopy, but it is on Netflix if you all want to check that out. That's a and great he's, movie. He's also been a bit player in several other movies that are just <clears throat> he was uh he was one of the best parts of warcraft which is unfortunately a very bad movie and as in your to take a turn from you rachel one of those headbanger movies where i'm just like uh, uh. yeah he was yeah. He, he was the best part of that movie though i will give him that uh yeah so this is directed by deborah granick and she did winter's bone and she just has such a humanity to her characters and i think she brings that here where you really feel like she loves her characters there's a uh there's a warmth to her characters and i i i i highly recommend it i i think you'd really you'd really enjoy it so what is your first pick so my first pick uh you were talking about a fairly recent movie in leave no trace i'm going to be throwing it back to the 1950s and i'm going to be talking about the original the War of the Worlds from 1953, not the Steven Spielberg movie, the one from 1953, the original one. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of special effects, this movie was well ahead of its time. For 1953, the effects, like in terms of what the ships look like and the aliens and just how they look, still holds up incredibly well to this day. Uh, the 1950s were a time where alien invasion movies were becoming the norm because of the atomic age, and we got movies like the original Godzilla and The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and Earth vs. the Flying Saucers and just so many like alien invasion movies that they became B-movies at a certain point. But fortunately, War of the Worlds is not a B-movie. It's actually... It's actually quite excellent. This is based on the novel by H.G. Wells, who also wrote the book The Invisible Man, which is a great movie in its own right from 1933. And <clears throat> long before Star Wars created just jaw-dropping special effects, 1953's War of the Worlds 
uh, was was already there doing it. Just on a spectacle level alone, the original War of the Worlds is definitely worth a watch. Yeah, you know what's so funny is that I actually was just on a podcast uh, to talk about this film. That's why I had to watch it on your canopy. That I was on a podcast uh, from my friend Jonathan. He has every version ever, it's called. And me and my friend Conrado were both on his show to talk about this film uh, because it is a Criterion release. It's not on the Criterion channel right now, but we have the Criterion project that we talk about once a month. And Mm -hmm. so we went on my friend Jonathan's show to talk about this movie. And one of the things I liked the most about this movie, I really enjoyed it, but I liked how succinct it is. I mean, most of the times in these kind of sci-fi movies, nowadays they're so bloated and uh, you know they're two, over two hours and it's just becomes kind of exhausting at a certain point but i loved the fact that this was like 85 minutes it just clips along and and it, so it was it was so refreshing in that regard and i thought it had some things to say but it was also still entertaining i really thought it was a, a good film yeah one of the things that i love about old sci-fi and horror movies is that they're not even 90 minutes. Sometimes they're like yeah. 85 or 80 minutes. Some of the movies I've been watching for my Scary Mania series, hashtag cheap plug again, uh, have been like just over an hour, like an hour 10, hour 15. Yeah. And honestly, I kind of love that. I love how yeah. it's like, get in, establish some stuff you need to know. Monsters enter in, battle the monster for about an hour or so. Closing credits, the end. It's like you get in, you get out. It's a yes. uh, bing, bang, bong, you know, three acts, like, like, like get in, get out, be stealthy, cash the check, and we're all happy campers. And it's, it's a lost art nowadays. Yeah. And some movies need to be long, and I don't have necessarily a problem with long movies. It just, it's just when they feel kind of, kind of bloated, and it's like, oh, I'm so, you feel kind of exhausted by the end of some of these these films and uh, so to be able to see this 85 minute really tight sci-fi movie i thought was very refreshing yeah the lord of the rings the return of the king absolutely needed to be as long as it was because there was so much story that needed to have closure that it justified the runtime same thing with endgame there was just so much that needed to be settled and finalized that it justified it being over (coughs) pardon me over three hours yeah. and allergy season is still kicking my butt. So that's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. I'm being, I'm being taken down by the flying saucers known as pollen. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, on to you. So my next pick is another film that I saw at Sundance in 2018. It was such a good year uh, in 2018 at Sundance for me. And uh, it is called eighth grade. And I went to this movie not knowing anything about it, and I ended up loving it. Uh, it's by director Bo Burnham, and in the movie, he he directs uh, the girl Elsie Fisher, uh, who is an eighth grader, <laughs> and it's just about her life and her experiences. And it is the thing I, there are a couple things that I really loved about it. I mean, I think that there are some really emotionally true moments, uh, especially when she has sort of her 
big confrontation with her dad and she finally kind of is open with uh him about her problems and her frustrations and it's really really great and then also just her being a youtuber is so authentic the way that she talks on the camera and the way that she uh is sort of giving out this advice i think is so true to that kind of vlog and uh, i i just i thought it was so well done it's funny it's sweet it's emotional if you've been an eighth grader then you i think will relate to it and understand it and so have you got a chance to see this one i saw this movie in theaters and uh it's it was one of my favorites of 2018 yeah, like it's so do, good do, like rachel do you know the meme where leonardo dicaprio from once upon a time in hollywood is pointing at it like that like that yeah. meme? <laughs> that like 35 times throughout my v- viewing of eighth grade i was pointing at the screen like yes i have been through that yeah and, and of course i'm not i'm not a girl but i have I, I suffer from a lot of the same problems that that Elsie Fisher's character did in terms of the social anxiety department. Yeah. A lot of a lot of times it would be hard for me to go to birthday parties and just other functions, especially as a musical theater kid, and just talk to people. I'd just be off in the corner, you know, just being like, Hey, you know, I'm just the awkward one at the party. So it she was very relatable and that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, though, is when she burns her box of hopes and dreams. Yeah, that's with her that, dad. That's what I'm saying. That, that, that isn't that that whole scene. I mean, she's with her dad, and she finally tells him. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Uh, and that's such a he, good scene. Uh, and then he tells her about how her mom left them, and it's it's such a heartbreaking scene. But at the same time, it's done so well. And Elsie Fisher is going to be a powerhouse. I can I can just tell for like the next twenty or thirty years that like when her retrospective is done for the the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be the first scene that they show of her burning her box of hopes and dreams. Yeah. I know. I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen her in anything else since. But uh, but yeah, she's very talented and she does such a great job. And so, yeah, definitely also one of my favorites, 2018. So yeah. what's, your, what's your next pick? Yeah, one more note. She's young. She's got time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so my next pick is, is a movie from my man, Charlie Chaplin. And this is called Modern Times. This is a particularly famous movie because it was Charlie Chaplin's final turn as his standout character, uh, the Tramp, or The Little Tramp, or Little Man. I've heard all three. And it's essentially about The Little Tramp working in this, in this factory. And, and while he's working in this factory, he soon meets a woman and falls in love with, with her. Uh, when I talked about The Kid in, uh, in our first HBO Max episode, definitely go watch that. Send Rachel presents while you're at it. Uh, <laughs> I talked about how Charlie Chaplin's best movies are more story-driven, and Modern Times is definitely one of them. There are definitely some funny gags, like when when the tramp is stuck in that gimmick machine, and and it's like it, like you're having the food, and then the the oh, thing yeah. comes around and wipes your mouth, and it goes around like five or six times for like the late 1920s, early 30s. Hang. Uh, 
it, it's still just a fascinating like piece of work and still just truly hilarious. 1936, I had a brain mm -hmm. fart. Uh, <laughs> like I said, Charlie Chaplin is just, he's just one of the best silent actors of all time, if not the best. He is the centerpiece of that whole movement. And he just, he makes this movie work. And it's just a really sweet story. I wouldn't say as sweet as something like City Lights, but it's definitely like a close second. And yeah. the ending of this movie especially gets to me. It, it's it's one of the best silent movies ever made, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a really good one. It's really funny. And all the stuff with him in the, uh, uh, the, uh, the factory is funny. And I do really like that scene with the uh, automatic, the food <laughs> thing. I don't know what you call it, the, the gadget uh, is really good. And uh, so, yeah, that's a really fun fun choice and uh, so my next choice uh we are moving up to 2001 and this is mostly martha so this is a german film uh that is really fun it's about this uh this chef who ends up having to be play mom for her niece. Uh, it starts out kind of sad, but she play, She ends up having to become the mom for her niece. And she's kind of a workaholic. And so now all of a sudden she's uh, thrust into this world of having to care for this sort of belligerent young child who's just lost her, her mother. And uh, there's also this sort of suave Italian chef who is a... Uh, uh, is new to her restaurant and she feels like what are you honing in on my turf kind of thing and uh, it's just so charming and it's a uh, it, they made a remake of it with Catherine Zeta-Jones and uh, Aaron Eckhart so they made a remake of it called No Reservations that's very similar. Uh, it's like beat for beat, basically the exact same plot. Uh, but I don't know, there's just something about this one that is like slightly better, I would say. Uh, that there's just, it's slightly more, it's slightly less movie star-ish and, and more sort of homegrown in feel. And I think maybe that's what makes it a little bit better. But they're very similar. So if you've seen that one with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Aaron Eckhart, then you'll probably like this if you like that. Yeah, I've, I've seen No Reservations. I saw it in theaters with my mom, actually, and I really liked it. Yeah. And while you were describing the plot to me, Rachel, I was saying to myself, <laughs> this sounds like No Reservations. And it turns out it's like, it, it, it's like a ring situation where there was Ringu and then there was the ring. Yeah. So there was a foreign version and then then the American remake. But um but yeah, I remember I remember distinctly the trailer for No Reservations. Catherine Zeta Jones comes out with this massive steak because this guy said, I wanted my steak rare, and she slams yeah. the beef on the table and she's like, Rare enough for you. Um <laughs> it's it's one of those trailer beats that has just it's just never left me. Yeah. And so I, I just always thought it was funny, but yeah. now that I've seen the American version of of this, I need to go check out the German version because yeah. it sounds it sounds fascinating. Yeah, they're very 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 similar. The ending's slightly different. That's about it. But uh, there's a scene where the chef makes uh, the young girl uh, a bowl of pasta because she hasn't been eating, 
and she makes he makes uh, her this bowl of pasta and it is probably the yummiest looking food in all of movie the, the, this whole movie the whole movie you're just like looks so delicious everything looks gorgeous but but particularly this bowl of pasta it looks so good on a so, scale of one to studio ghibli how delicious does it look it's like a 10 i mean this food looks so good in this movie and especially that pasta yeah it's anime worthy uh for there and it's just this is a sweet movie about family and about grief and life and and uh work and how much do we how like when is it good to be driven and when is it good to you know to when is it overtaking our lives and all those kinds of things are sort of brought up it's a really sweet movie so what's your next pick so my next pick is the most recent movie on my list it's from 2017 and it is called Megan Levy. Uh, this is based on a true story of a woman named, well, Megan Levy. Uh, she starts out, she starts out in the army, and she uh, she really doesn't do all that well. She gets into a lot of trouble. But then she is transferred to the K nine unit, and she is forced to bond bond with this dog. And it starts off rough at first, but then they soon become really close friends. And I can't remember how many missions they went on. It was a lot, but they went on a lot of missions together. But when they, when both get injured in an IED blast, they both get separated. And, and essentially the first half is all the army stuff. And the second half is Megan Levy trying to go through all the legal red tape to try and get her dog back and bring him home. Uh, this was a movie that I saw on a lark with both my mom and my dad. We were like, oh, what's out right now? And we were like, oh, this Megan Levy certainly looks good. And it turned out to be quite great. Uh, Kate Mara is the star who was Zoe Barnes on House of Cards. She's excellent there and she's excellent in Megan Levy. And she was also in that Fantastic movie, but let's not talk about that. Uh, Tom Felton, a.k.a. Draco Malfoy from the Harry Potter movies is in there. And I was surprised when I first saw him. I'm like, why does that dude look so familiar? And I'm like, oh my God, that's Tom Felton. Like he looks so old now. And I, I just, I remember growing up watching and despising that kid, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, this is just a, it's, it's a, it definitely follows a formula, but as we've talked about several times on this podcast, Rachel, formula movies are good if they're acted well and the story is compelling and this movie checks off both of those boxes in spades. I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, but if you haven't, I, th this would definitely be for you. I actually have. And this was on my, uh, underrated movies, uh, list the, for that year at the 2017, uh, that not, not enough people saw it, not enough people, uh, watched it because it was really sweet and had such a I mean how can you not want her to be with that dog and that that whole uh, relationship is is so sweet like I'm like I'm a cat person but I was like come on you got to get that dog back like yeah. seriously it brings the feels big time for sure and so I, I think it's well acted. I think it's well done. I, I also really enjoyed it. I, I would have had that on my short list for sure of picks. So I think it's a great, great pick. And something patriotic, 
and you could talk about war without being without like traumatizing your kids you know like sometimes you want to have those discussions but you don't want something that'll be too upsetting and i think it would be a a good choice on that that level um all right so my next pick is another one that i saw at sundance from 2019 and it sundance and it's called love antosha and this is a documentary about anton yelchin and he used to write these letters to his mother uh where he would write love antosha uh as his nickname and he was their only child and uh he of course died tragically in a freak accident uh with his car and it's it's so sad especially because he had um uh cystic fibrosis i think it's the lung the lung problem i forget what it's called i think it's cystic fibrosis anyway and and so the fact he died in this he had chronic chronic poor health and then to die in this freak accident is just so bizarre and frustrating um but anyway it just goes over his life and all the things that he did in his short life and the accomplishments that he he made and the number of movies that he uh, was in um and uh you know both mainstream and indie roles and but more it's about his friendships and his particularly his parents and that it's pretty sad uh and uh, so anyway it's it's it definitely will bring make you cry but it's good. I mean, it's, it's very uh, encouraging to, to think about all that he accomplished in such a short life and what you can maybe accomplish. <laughs> yeah. So I recommend it. Yeah. I'm a big Anton Yelchin fan, but honestly, I had never even heard of this movie. So I'll definitely have to check it out because I loved Anton Yelchin when he was alive. He was Chekhov in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies. He was great there. He was awesome in this movie called Green Book, which is, whew, that'll uh, that'll stay with you for days. Or not Green Book, Green Room, Green Room, <laughs> not not the uh, not the Viggo Mortensen, Mahershala Ali. Right. The Green Room is completely yeah. different. Yeah, and and yeah, I'm honestly surprised that I had never heard of this movie up until you telling me about it. But now that it's on my radar, I'm definitely gonna look into it and it is rated r there's some profanity and some like you see some things like that so if people are it's not for kids or anything but it's uh it's definitely worth a worth a watch so what's your next pick oh and one more note before we move on he was also in another movie i love called only lovers left alive and it was directed by jim jarmusch and it was it's about vampires it's it's a really, really good movie if you've never heard of it. And, mm. and, uh, and that was my introduction to Anton Yelchin. I was trying to think of the name of the movie. And then I was like, oh yeah, Only Lovers Left Alive. So uh, anyway, yeah. my penultimate choice is from 1931, a truly great year for horror movies. We got Dracula, we got Frankenstein from Universal, but we got one more horror movie from director James Whale and starring Boris Karloff. It's called The Old Dark House. And actually, I tell a lie, it was from 1932. It was the year after. But even still, great year for horror movies. Yeah. Uh, 
The Old Dark House tells the story of of five travelers who are caught in a massive rainstorm and they see a house and they're like, oh, let's stay there. And so they ask if they, if they can stay the night. And so they do, but it turns out the family is kind of bonkers. And so the whole movie is just a game of mental chess between the travelers and the family that lives there. Uh, the highlight of the movie is Boris Karloff, who was, who is of course a legend. Uh, he was Frankenstein's monster. Uh, he was the mummy in 1931's The Mummy. He's unfortunately only known for those two roles, but uh, but and and here he does play into the typecast of being like the mute brute who only communicates through like. But he is really good in the movie, I promise, and a really articulate speaker, to be honest. And uh, like I said, this movie was directed by James Whale, who was like the Lee Winnell or the Fede Alvarez of his day. Like he was, he was the top man in directing horror movies. He directed Frankenstein. He directed Bride of Frankenstein. He directed The Mummy. Of course, he directed The Old Dark House. And he also directed The Invisible Man from 1933, which is still just spectacular to this day. Uh, this is just, this is just a creepy movie. Like this family is just, they're a few fries short of a happy meal. Like they're they're not the type of family you don't go out of your way to visit. They're they're fascinated with potatoes. They're like, you want some tatties? You want some tatties? I'm like, no, I don't want your potatoes. Get away from me. <laughs> and and what's also impressive about this movie is that there's no score. It's all wind and rain. That may be distracting for some, but it just adds to just the the horrible situation that these people are in. So it, my final note is that The Old Dark House is one of those horror movies from the, like, the golden age of horror movies that nobody talks about, and I think everybody should. You know, I'm so glad you recommended it, because I have never heard of it. I never, never heard. And I feel like most classics around that age I've at least heard of, you know, even if I haven't seen it. But this was totally new to me. So it sounds really interesting. So I'll definitely have Especially to Especially from it out. James Whale, who was one of the goats. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. So I'm excited to see it. So thank you for recommending it to me. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Well, you've got my you've got my coughs. Yeah. <laughs> well, so my movie it could maybe be seen as a more comedic modern version of what you're talking about a little bit. Uh, so my last choice is uh, from 2014. It's What We Do in the Shadows. And if you're a fan of Taika Waititi for Thor Ragnarok or for Jojo Rabbit, if you've gotten into him the last year or so for for The Mandalorian. All of that, if you if you love that, then you are doing a disservice to not watch what we do in the shadows. This is a mockumentary, and I know when I first heard that, I was like, oh, I'm so sick of mockumentaries. I know, <laughs> but, but trust me on this, that this is really funny and really worth watching. Uh, it's a mockumentary about these vampires and particularly by Taika Waititi and by Jermaine Clement. And they have like all different kinds of vampires. Like there's sort of the Nostradamus type with like the, the white and the, the, you know, the, the teeth and everything. The, the long and, fingernails yeah. and the, the bat-like <laughs> ears and the bulbous head. Yeah. And they're all kind of irritated with each other all the time. <laughs> 
and they have their their friends that uh they they uh they're vampire friends and they're human friends and they're also their victims and again it is rated r but uh and there's a lot of blood but it's so over the top and ridiculous and funny that i highly recommend it i've heard that the television show that they just had uh is really good as well i don't know i haven't seen it but this movie is very very funny agreed uh, i i actually i didn't see this in the movie theaters i saw this at my local community college they do a film series every oh, year oh really and the and the theme for that year was strikingly original and they had like blazing saddles and and under the skin which was on my shortlist for this week and what we do in the shadows was also on there and i saw it and i laughed my head off this yeah. movie was just like to, to quote a Blu-ray quote, uproariously funny. And uh, it's funny because Taika Waititi has now become like one of the biggest directors going today. He's killing it in the MCU. He directed the best episodes of The Mandalorian, directed Jojo Rabbit, which was phenomenal. Uh, he directed Thor Ragnarok, which is like top tier MCU. Uh, I'm, I'm running out of positive things to say about the guy. Like he's, he's, yeah. like, he's killing it right now. Yeah, and they they're I just love the fact that they're all just kind of like, oh <laughs> like they're all so irritated with each other. Especially the new guy who like the new vampire guy. <laughs> they're all like, leave us alone. I I just think it's really funny. And uh, so yeah, Taekwai TV, he is irreverent and and funny and cheerful and uh brave at the same time and he's just one of the best working today there's no doubt about it so what is your last pick so my last pick is let me pull it up oh there it is so my last pick is one of the greatest zombie movies ever made if not the greatest it's from 1963 and it is night of the living dead uh, this was directed by george a romero and uh and this is a this is a movie i'm going to be talking about very soon third hashtag chief plug for me but uh but when i saw it on canopy i was like okay i gotta talk about it because more people have got to know about this movie because it is a classic it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made but i don't think it's talked about all that much at least like among at least not among certain circles and mm -hmm. i think it should because this movie was like one of the first independent horror movies ever made it was made on a budget of just north of a hundred thousand dollars i think it's like 113 or fourteen thousand, but it turned out to just make like 75 or 100 times in profit so it was very popular for the time and this story has been told before it's about a group of people who are in one place trying to fight off the living dead. Like it's been done before, like from Night of the Living Dead all the way up to like the Walking Dead TV series going on right now. But, uh, but Night of the Living Dead did it first and I would argue it was done the best. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. Uh, this is just, this is just, this movie feels very raw and very in your face, mostly because there was a lot of handy cam done in there and you really 
focus on the hands reaching out, trying to get you and just the zombies trying to get through the door. Like in another, in another time that would have been done like using CGI, but they didn't have that luxury. They had to use ham entrails and pig entrails and blood that was made of chocolate syrup and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was made on a shoestring budget, but it was made incredibly effective. And it's held up tremendously well because George A. Romero kind of played off the zombies as like, in a way, it was his take on capitalism and how it targets kind of the lower tiers of society. Again, it's just the theory that critics have always talked about, but it, it, was, it was definitely there because in his other movies, Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead, mall shoppers are, or zombies are portrayed as the mall shoppers because it all takes place in a mall and they're portrayed as like the zombies and the living dead and all that. But even if you don't look at it through an analytical lens, Night of the Living Dead is still a tremendously effective movie. So I don't know if Rachel, if you've seen it or not. I never have, but I've heard of it. Uh, it's in black and white, right? Yes. I'll definitely have to check it out. I've been wanting to, maybe I'll make that a blind spot for next year. Uh, so y'all, uh, yeah, you'll have to remind me. That sounds really interesting. So there you go. We did it. Our recommendations. So let us know if you've seen any of these films that we've talked about, what you think of them and what have you been watching on Canopy? Do you have any recommendations for us? We would love to hear your thoughts. And uh, Ryan, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. And then there's, of course, my YouTube channel, Ryan Cam's Movie Reviews. Uh, Scary Mania is going to be running wild all throughout October. Uh, everything from like the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari up to the modern stuff. I'm going to be covering 31 horror movies in 31 days. Wow. Pray for me. That would be amazing. <laughs> and then, of wait. course, the AFI project is still going on. Today is a Tuesday, which means my episode for Bonnie and Clyde just dropped. And on Thursday, I'm going to be releasing my episode for Midnight Cowboy. And then it's stuff like A Streetcar Named Desire and Intolerance and Lord of the Rings and just a lot of good stuff coming. Yeah. So if you haven't subscribed, please do so because it's <coughs> it's a great time to uh, subscribe to the channel. You're getting in on the ground floor, as they say. <laughs> yeah, some really good stuff there. And yeah, make sure you're subscribed to Rachel's Reviews. Uh, we have some really fun stuff coming up on my channel as well. We'll be doing Disney Scares Month coming up. Uh, this is my fifth year doing Disney Scares for, for uh, Family Movie Night each Monday. And uh, so we're going to be revisiting Watcher in the, the Watcher in the Woods with uh, Lee from uh, Drum Dums. And I'm really excited to do that and a lot of other fun stuff going on. And then at Hallmarkies Podcast, we are going to be starting our Christmas coverage the first week of October, believe it or not. So that's when previews start. And uh, we're really, we're really pumped. We're ready. And it's going to be an incredible season. So make sure you're subscribed over there as well. So, and we have our merch store, which is really great. It has some fun, uh, fun merch. And then we also have our patron group. So check that out as well. And thanks so much. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye everyone. Bye.